The scripture this morning is taken from Psalm 26, verses 6 through 8. That's Psalms 26, verses 6 through 8. That's on page 492 in the Pew Bibles. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And again, we welcome you if you're a guest. It really encourages us that you're here. And we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Hope that you had a great last few days. Hope you've spent some time with family and maybe eaten some good meals and just maybe were able to even relax a little more. Isn't it wonderful to be together this morning? Let me mention just a couple of things to you quickly. And if you need more info, just see us. And we'll be glad to pass it on. We've mentioned to you recently that two of our deacons, Jason Haley and Sean Owens, work on a weekly basis with local elementary schools in the name of the church that belongs to Christ. And we're thankful and give God the glory in that. Through this, working with guidance counselors, they have found several kids that need help at Christmas, and of course, ultimately, it's going through the parents. And they have uh, names, uh, they have the list, they have everything if you wanted to sponsor a child. And so, if you will see either Sean or Jason, uh, Jason's right here. Is Sean in this service? And Sean's right back here. Raise your hand, guys. If you'll see those two guys, uh, they would be glad to give you an opportunity to make a difference in the life of a family. And, and all the parents will know is that it was uh, the Mount Juliet Church of Christ that wanted to help them. And uh, what a blessing that will be to be able to really help and make a difference this time of year. We have a lot to be grateful for. Last Wednesday evening, we were reminded that one of the things that we're grateful for is to have such great deacons. Several of our deacons led the Wednesday night service. That period of worship was tremendous. We're thankful for those men. We're thankful for all of our deacons and the good that you do in contributing uh, your life and your abilities to the Lord's work. Also keep in mind, there's just a few names left of the Operation Turkey, and those really need to be gotten back in by tonight, but there's only four or five left. So if you've been thinking, oh, we need to do that, or if you're in a Bible class this morning and you want to take one and get everybody to throw in a dollar, uh, we, we have a lot of extra names this year. We're helping a lot of people, so you have already been very generous. But if you can help us with those last four or five, that would be great if you could do that today. And again, what a wonderful thing to be able to encourage others uh, even in South America. When we think about this topic of gratitude, I'd like to take your minds today and next Sunday morning to Psalm the 26th chapter. There's some things that just ought to go together and when they're not together, it ought to raise concern. For example, when you see a child out in public without a parent or a guardian, you just see that and think it just shouldn't be that way. As a matter of fact, a journalist in Britain decided to take her daughters and do a little bit of an experiment. She went to a mall and she put one of her daughters that was five years old out for about 20 to 30 minutes and then she put her other daughter out that was seven years old for about 30 minutes. And during that time, each child was alone out in the middle of the mall. The mother was hiding so that no one would know that she was with that child. 
and 600 people passed by. Only one woman, she was 70 years old, out of 600 people that passed by. And some were even walking in pairs. And when they would get to the child, they would split up, look down at the child and keep going. Only one out of 600 people stopped and asked any words of concern. She said, are you waiting for someone? Is there something I can do to help you? You see, there's some things that when we see them, we ought to just know, hey, this, this isn't right. A child without a guardian in public, it's just not right. A bird without a song, it's just not right. A person without a purpose, it's just not right. A philanthropist without a cause, it's just not right. A Christian without a voice of thanksgiving. It's just not right. Have you noticed in your Christian walk that there are times that gratitude just seems to be so natural that, that it just flows from you almost to the point that you can't stop being grateful? But then have you noticed maybe there's other seasons of your life that you don't know exactly why, maybe. Maybe you can't put your finger on it exactly, but, but the gratitude doesn't seem to be flowing quite maybe the way you think it should. Today, what I want you to see from studying this psalm is I want you to see that God never designed for gratitude to be something as simple as a to-do list. Oh, let me wake up today. Oh, oh, that's right. On my to-do list is I need to be grateful to God. So let me pause and give thanks. Now, let me also pause right there and say, I don't think God would mind if it was such a high priority to us, if we were making a to-do list, maybe he wouldn't mind it being on the list. What you see is it's supposed to be a lot more than just something on a to-do list. Gratitude is literally to flow from who we are because we know what God has done. This psalm does a great job revealing to us some things. When we look at Psalm 26, notice here on this next, of thanksgiving, voice of thanksgiving. I'd like for you to notice that right above it, we have a walk with God because that's what the first six verses talk about. But then verse seven talks about the voice of thanksgiving. And then the next five verses, I'm not saying every phrase in those five verses, but a lot of the content of those next five verses is what's it like to dwell with God, to be in abode with God. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is I'd like for us to take and study the first six verses and see what is it about a walk with God that then will naturally lend itself to us having a voice of things. And then next week we'll come back and we'll look at the rest of this psalm and we'll see what is it about dwelling with God. That when we truly dwell with God, it brings about a voice of thanksgiving. So if you have your Bible open, let's go back uh, to the first verse. As you're looking back in your Bible, could I just mention to you quickly just a couple of beautiful things about the book of Psalm? Psalm, as you may note in your Bible, is made up of 150 poems that were written, individual poems. Most of them were written to be sung or prayed. 
There are many fabulous characteristics about Psalm. But what I would like for you to especially note this morning is that one of the unique characteristics about Psalm is that there is a mirror of the soul that we find in Psalm. And what I mean by that is every one of these Psalms were written by a particular author. David wrote a lot of the Psalms. And usually he wrote about a particular thing happening in his life. Now, we know that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit as these were being written. And so we give that quality uh, credit to God. But the beauty about Psalm is that even though maybe none of us here in this room may not have experienced the exact thing that David was experiencing when he wrote Psalm 26, the application of the things that he's writing about is so easy for us to turn around and say, wow, I can relate to that. I can identify with that. And so this particular psalm is a song of lamenting. In other words, it was a time when, when he's giving up prayer, he's giving up songs of, of uh, kind of like agony, of grief, something's not right. But what's interesting is this is one of those psalms of lament that has a turn of gratitude to it. In other words, what we learn by his very straightforwardness in the first six verses is, in essence, he's saying, like Job, when Job finally gets to the end of the book, he's saying, look, I'm going through a lot of suffering, but I'm a righteous man. Sometimes we suffer because of our unrighteousness. Here the psalmist is saying, I'm just telling you, I'm not suffering right now because of unrighteousness. I'm innocent. Like Job, I'm suffering right now as a righteous individual. And so he writes this song to be sung about that kind of life. This room would be full of individuals that have endured suffering in their life, not because they were a wicked person, but because on this earth, there are going to be times of suffering. How do we have a voice of thanksgiving in the midst of times of suffering? How do we have a voice of thanksgiving when it's more than a to-do list? We are truly thankful in the depths of our lamenting. What I want you to see from these first few verses is it has to do with our walk with God. Will you look with me? Let's, what we're going to do is we're going to read these verses and then we're going to come back and just work through some things. So let's read this. Psalms 26 and 1. A Psalm of David, he cries out, vindicate me. You know, you know, vindicate means judge me and find me innocent. So he's, he's kind of making a charge to God. I know I'm innocent. Probably others around me are thinking I'm guilty. I just, I want you to judge me, God. Vindicate me. Notice the personal pronouns, I and me through here, but then notice what he expects God to do. Oh Lord, for I have walked, see the walk, I have walked in my integrity. I've also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Now notice what he says about God. For your loving kindness is before my eyes and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence 
So I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. So as we are about to go back through and just see what we can learn from this beautiful Psalms of Lamenting that finds itself lending a voice of thanksgiving, I want us to notice two things here. We must not bypass our own responsibility. In other words, if we're gonna have this voice of thanksgiving, we do have a responsibility. But we would be sorely amiss if we thought, it's all up to me. It's just me going out and, and me pulling myself up by the bootstraps and it's me making myself a better person and it's just me focusing more on God. If we start thinking like that, you know what we've done? Then we've bypassed the power of God. So let's find the blend here that exists in this psalm where the psalmist is quick to say, here's my responsibility and, and I'm doing the best I can. But here's God's power to enhance my life. And then you see, that's where the voice of thanksgiving comes from. Look what God has done with me. Look what God has done for me. Look what God has done to me. Look at what God is doing along with me. And so I hope in preaching this, I, I can be fair to the text and balance those two. If I get anything off balance, you balance it out in your study. As we study this, we need to see our responsibility, but we need to see just as clearly God's power. So let's go back now to verse one. Go with me, if you will, Psalms 26 and verse one, and let's see this. And what I'd like for you to notice here, we've already talked about the vindicate me. We've already talked about he, he's saying, God, judge me, and, and, and I know you're gonna find me innocent in this. How can he be so sure that he's gonna find me innocent? He says this, let me tell you about how much I trust in God. When he describes his walk, he says, number one, I walk with integrity. But then number two, he joins with that. I also have trusted the Lord. That is really a powerful way to live. The word integrity has to do with completeness or wholeness. I sometimes, just in my mind, the way I remember it, is I just think about on the news, a small plane crashing. And you hear the reporter say, the cockpit maintained its integrity. Well, I get the picture of, okay, maybe the wings were ripped off. Maybe the tail section of the plane is broken off. But if I hear that, you know what I expect? I expect the cockpit to be complete and whole. Integrity, completeness or wholeness. Notice what he's saying about his walk with God. God... I have taken, this is what the psalmist is saying. I know I'm innocent because I've taken every aspect of my life and I've put it in a walk with you. My family life, my work life, my living in the neighborhood and a community, among my friends and peers, when I'm away on a trip, when I'm at home, when I'm in public, when I'm with my church family, when I'm home alone or when I'm alone and no one else is around. God, I have brought myself completely to you. But now notice this next thing, because I trust you. We know what it is to play the trust game where, you know, close their eyes and, and they put their hands out and they fall back over their heels because there is a person behind them that says, I'll catch you, fall back, 
Now, if this person standing here was six foot tall and 180 pounds, and the person behind them says, hey, fall, I'll catch you. But you know that person behind you is two years old. And they weigh about 29 pounds. Are you going to trust them? They're telling you the right thing. Hey, fall, I'll catch you. But you're saying to yourself, even if they're willing, I know they don't have the power. I know they don't have the strength. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying to God here? The psalmist is saying to God is, I trust you with everything in my life. All integrity. I have laid it over to you. What happens if you go to work this next week and you truly, you live for God in everything at work? Some of you are thinking, I think I'd get fired. I think my coworkers would stop accepting me. What about if you did this? What if you said this next week? God, I trust you. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I trust you. I'm going to go home and I'm going to live for you completely. And I don't know how that all work out, but I trust you. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to live for you completely. I trust you. You see in verse one, when he talks about his walk, he's declaring his innocence. And I want you to note this. He's not declaring his perfection. Never in this psalm does he say, I'm a perfect man. But what he knows is that he has taken every aspect of his life, integrity, and he has trusted God fully. Now, I'd like for you to see the result of that at the end of verse 1. He says, I shall not slip. At first glance, that looks like he's making a statement about himself, saying, oh, and I won't make a mistake in it. Trust me, that's not what he's saying at all. When he says, I will not slip, this is where he turns the coin over and he says, look how great God is. God, I trust him with everything. He's not going to let me fall. In other words, if I'm truly walking with God, I'm on sure, steady ground. If I'm walking with God, I'm not on some kind of shaky ground. You know the song we sung as children because Jesus taught it in the, great, in the great Sermon on the Mount. We can build our life on the rock, Jesus Christ, solid ground, or we can build our life and our house on the sand. And when the rains come and the floods come, it, that foundation will slip away. The psalmist has it very clear in his mind and in his understanding. I know God. I know his power. I trust him. And if I stand with him, I'll not slip. The times you and I slip is when we don't stand with him. So we see in verse 1, the psalmist saying, listen to my trust. I trust God with everything. And I trust that his way is sure. But look at verse number two. He says, listen to my humility, God. He's not saying I have arrived and I'm perfect. But what he is saying is, I want you to keep working on me. 
I'm not asking you to answer this right now quickly. I'm asking you to think about this. And before you pillow your head, would you be bold enough to pray to God? Verse 2. Would you be bold enough to pray to God and say this week, God, I want you to examine me. I want you to look me over. And I want you, God, to prove me. That's the idea of test me. I want you to test me out and see if I'm for real or not. Because, notice the humility here. God, I may be wrong. I, I may not be doing as well as I think I'm doing because I've noticed in life I have a lot of imperfections. So I'm asking you, God, examine me. Test me. Now notice this next line. Verse 2. Try my mind and my heart. And that word try there, and it may be this way in some of your translation, means to refine me. It's the idea of like a goldsmith melting down the gold so that the impurities separate from the pure gold. This is literally what he's saying. God, there's probably some areas in my life that still aren't what they need to be. And so God, I'm saying to you, I want you to keep working on me. This lamenting that he's doing is connected to a trial or to a sorrow. Maybe he's saying in this, Lord, maybe this, this sorrow when I think I've not done anything wrong to deserve this. Maybe you know, God, that there's some growing I need to do through this. Maybe you know that there's some wrong that I'm guilty of and I don't even know I'm guilty of it. So God, I want you to test me and I want you to refine me and melt me down and whatever separation needs to happen, I want to come out of this closer to you. Do you see the combination there? We're doing our part, bringing ourselves in humility, but we expect God to do his part. If we really have that kind of humility, you think God won't help us see some instruction that we need to see or hear? You think God won't put situations in our life that, that we don't need to see and experience? Listen, God is a loving father that promises because of his love, he will discipline us. And if you're really willing to pray this prayer and look toward next week and say, God, I want you to refine me. Just get ready. There may be some things happening this week that may be a little bit uncomfortable. Or there may be some opportunities that we look at them and say, wow, I wasn't expecting this much. And it will be God answering your prayer saying, you asked for it. And I really want to help you during this time. Now, someone would say, how can I trust God that much? That's fair. Because we're, we're asking, in the, the scripture here is asking us to put a lot of trust in God. So at this point, we've just kind of been taken for granted that God's trustworthy. But notice verse 3. This is why we can trust. Look at verse 3. Your loving kindness is before my eyes. In the Old Testament, if you do a word study on loving kindness... It always goes back to God's tender, the word loving. And then I know maybe in English you wouldn't link this immediately, but if you do a word study, it makes like, it really makes sense, okay? Tender is the loving. Kindness is the mercy. When we read in the New Testament those passages that talk about tender mercy, it's the very same concept as loving kindness in the Old Testament. Do you see how this links here? In other words, someone would say, 
you mean to tell me you're willing to bring your imperfections in prayer to God and you're willing to say, God, I, I don't even know everything that, that I need to do. I don't know every, every area of my life that I need to grow. And you mean to tell me you're willing to bring that to God? I mean, what, what if God just zaps you and condemns you? And, and, someone say, and the psalmist say, you don't know God, do you? God is loving kindness. God has tender mercy. And so the psalmist is willing to bring himself to God that he knows has great tender mercy and is willing to do a great work of refinement. Let's do a before and after. You know, like all oh, oh, your, your home shows that, that you love. I was about to say, you ladies, I think a lot of you guys like it too. But, you know, you, you like the before and after scenes, right? Just, just imagine this. Before, the persecuting Saul wreak havoc upon the church after one of the greatest apostles, Paul, one of the greatest missionaries to ever live. Before and after what? What made that kind of... The power of God transforming lives. His loving kindness was willing not to give up on Saul when he was wreaking havoc on the church. His loving kindness was willing to say, I know what he can become. And how beautiful, how beautiful is that? There would be some sitting in this room right now that if you knew them before they became a Christian, you might be startled. And you might even say to them now, wow, I can't believe you made that much change in your life. And they have. Remember, it's dual responsibility. But if you let it rest with just that, you're missing the point. Any of us that are truly living transformed lives, it's not just because of what we've done. It's because of what God has done through us. And so when we see here the loving kindness I'd like for you to also note that that affects, see there in the rest of verse three, I have walked in your truth. That has become his anchor, his pathway, his guide. Psalmist, David, where are you gonna live your life? I'm going to walk with the Lord. Now, what's the result of that? Notice the next two verses has two sets of people in each verse. The result of that in verse four, I'm not going to sit around with idolatrous mortals. I'm going to walk with the living God, not let idolatrous mortals shape my life. I'm also not going to go in with hypocrites. Remember integrity? I am really living this life. I'm not acting like I'm living this life. I'm not trying to convince you I'm living this life. I am living this life. Verse five, the assembly of evildoers. Let me tell you what I love. I love the assembly that belongs to the Lord. Now he doesn't say that exactly there, but when we study next week, you're gonna see that he ties in God's house into this. And then look at the rest of verse five. Nor set with the wicked. With that in mind, I want you now to read with me verse six and seven and we close this lesson. So because of all of that, he says, I will wash my hands in innocence. He knows what God has done for him. 
So I will go about your altar of the Lord. In other words, he's going to come into the presence of the Lord. And what is he going to bring in the presence of the Lord because of everything he said? He can do this now. I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving. Now, what's he going to tell with his voice of thanksgiving? And tell of all your marvelous works. That is the word, Paula there. The word we've been studying all year. The psalmist. What are you going to tell when you come before the presence of God? And we've been studying all year various marvelous works. He could talk about the children of Israel walking across on dry land and, and the parted sea. But if we take this in context, in context, what is the marvelous work here? I love this. Are you ready for this? In context, he's saying, God, I'm your marvelous work. When I see the transformation that you've done in my life, I'm amazed. And I'm going to come with you with thanksgiving. And I'm going to praise you. Because you are the reason for my innocence. How awesome is that? This morning, if you're forgiven, this morning, if you're living your life wholly trusting in God, it's because you have coupled with the power of the Almighty God. When we do that, the voice of thanksgiving can't be quieted. The bird has a song. The person has a purpose. The lost child is found. They're walking with God. We become the philanthropist with the cause. I want other people to know of the wealth that I I want you to know what it's like to be redeemed. Many of us made our list of 100 things this past week. I wonder how many of us put on our list ourselves transformed into the image of God. It's one of the most marvelous gifts that God gives us. So what I learned today, number one, I learned the true voice of thanksgiving is from a person who has allowed God to refine them. Number two, I've learned that refining demands a person's willingness to trust God with their all. Number three, I've learned the refined person is thankful because their life is on solid ground. They're not slipping. Number four, I've learned I should be one of God's marvels. I really look forward to next Sunday morning when we complete this psalm to see it's about our walk with God, but it's also about our home dwelling with God. Why do you love the church? We'll have a voice of thanksgiving if we have the right reasons of why we love God's dwelling place. This morning, is there anything we can do to help you is there anything we can do to help you have a voice of thanksgiving? If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or you're ready to be restored, please come as we stand as we sing.